see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Welcome, everybody. Down the line, Surf Talk Radio. Wait, spit. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, wow. I actually didn't even notice. You could have just rolled with it. Oh, my God. Should we invite him on real quick? Hell or? no. You don't want Barry on. He'll take over the whole show. Guy's, wanna, a, guy's a talker. What should we uh, advertise for Barry? Well, the good news is Barry gave me... Some a quick tour actually of the Joe Quig uh, exhibit here at Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. By the way, it's Spit. It's Tuesday. It's October second, and I'm Scott Bass, and alongside me, my friend and host David Lee Scales. Good morning, David. Good morning, Scott. Good to see you. And it's good to be seen on this Tuesday. Joe Quig Design Alternatives is what this exhibit is called. And we, of course, at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center in San Clemente, you and I, David, in the library, as usual, recording here. And just to the east of me is their exhibit room with the Joe Quig Design Alternatives. Join Shack starting Saturday, October 6th from 6 to 9 for the opening celebration of this great exhibit, Joe Quig Design Alternatives. You can get more information at surfingheritage.org. And... Um, you and I spoke about this great exhibit last week. I just took a peek at it, and it's incredible. There's the very first ever elephant gun, which was shaped by Joe Quigg for Buzzy Trent, is next to us. And if you're a surfboard geek like I am, it's kind of it's inspiring. Can we take photos of it and post on Insta? Absolutely, we okay, can. Cool. So and it's listeners. a cool looking board too. Like it looks like a rider right now. It's really? like something Mark Andrini would make me. Awesome. Yeah. Um, are you able to hear the words coming out of my mouth, Scott? How's your hearing today? Yeah, my hearing's 50-50. I can hear what you're saying, um, but I do have some packing and some gauze and stuff in my right ear, which, of course, I went underwent ear surgery last Tuesday, a week ago today. Yeah. So uh, here I am. My ear was drilled out. and um, So was it the laser that you were inquiring about, or was it a proper drill? I don't remember. Honestly, you don't know? I, I don't know. I think it's a laser. I think if they go in with the chisel, they got to flap it open and go in. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure they lasered it. And how did the experience go? Was it as painful as the previous time? No. Oh. Pain-free. Really? Yeah. I mean, they put me on pain meds for two days, but I didn't need I mean, I must have. Maybe I needed them. I don't know. But I was never in pain, and um, I stopped the pain meds on Thursday, and and I haven't had any pain. I'm just doing, you know, what the doctor told me, putting in some drops and yeah. and waiting for the skin to grow back onto the bone area, at which point I can go surfing. The good news is if you're a surfer like me who's jonesing to get in the water all the time, this type of ear surgery, canalplasty, only, only takes two weeks of rehab. Right. And you can get back in the water. The other way that I've had it done with where they flap open the ear, it takes six weeks. Okay. So, um, and that's, of course, if there aren't any complications. So, we're hoping that everything's smooth and I can be back in the water in about, whatever, six, uh, 
eight days or whatever it is. Well, that's the best outcome I've heard with that surgery. Um, everybody else complains about the pain. So I'm wondering if it's just that the laser is the kind of modern, less invasive, less intrusive way to do it. I think it might be. I think it might be the next level, you know, which makes sense. Yeah. I spoke with Magnus, who we, you and I spoke about on the last show. He sent us the surfer surfer ears. Yeah. The really great earplugs that keep water out but allow noise in and sound right, in. Right. And um just randomly he emailed me. He's like, hey, I want to get a I want to do an exhibit at the boardroom show. I want to have a doctor there doing um, you know, uh what would be the uh, I guess exams? a doc- exams. Thank you. Yeah, just kind of like roll by exams. So all the surfers that show up at the boardroom show can get a free exam from the doctor. Uh, Magnus is bringing in and so cool. they're going to have a cool little exhibit there Very cool. which we've had in the past at the Santa Cruz show we had of course the original um, Doc's Pro Plugs um, gosh I'm trying a blank on the Doc's name right now but everyone knows who he is he's been around forever um, could, do you remember the Doc's name I don't name remember his name but somebody, Santa Cruz his, I could find his, it real quick somebody. yeah his his daughter ran hot ran hotline wetsuits and probably still does for like 40 years Doc, I uh, can't believe I'm drawing an old man moment here, but everyone knows who I mean. Anyway, in Santa Cruz, we had him do it. Doc's Pro Plugs. He's got to be, I hope he's still with us. He's probably like 98 years old. But a great guy and and his daughter, a wonderful surfer and a great part of the Santa Cruz surfing community. So we'll do that again. We'll have ear exams at the boardroom show. And... Um, I'm going to Google it. Now you got me thinking. Are you going to Google it? Well, I'm actually looking through Just Google emails. Google Docs somebody, Pro Plugs. Somebody emailed me the um, recommendation for him because we were talking about it on the show. And they're like, that's the guy that you got to talk to because he's people fly in from around the world to have the surgery done by him specifically. Oh, but who? Which guy? The guy you're talking about. I just can't remember his name. And I'm looking for the email. Oh, Docs Pro Plugs guy? I think so. No, there's another guy in Santa Cruz. So the guy Magnus is going to have be the exam guy is another expert from Santa Cruz, different than Doc's Pro Plugs. Okay. Well, and Magnus says he's the legit guy. Like he's at any rate. Don't you have other boardroom show news to break? I do. Are you ready to break it, or should we tease it? Well, no. I mean, I'm ready to break it. I'm just trying to find. I'm jonesing to find the last name of. Um, yeah, Doc Scott, Robert Scott, Doc oh, okay. Scott's Pro Plugs. <laughs> And, of course, again, his daughter, um, and, of course, I can't remember her first name right now, but anyway. Well, listeners of the show definitely know what the boardroom show is. It's the industry's uh, largest, well, surfboard manufacturing, the largest trade show. And you run it, and uh, it's open to the public, and it's once a year, in usually in Del Mar, sometimes a second location as well, like you said, Santa Cruz a couple of years ago. Um and it's in May every year for a weekend. And it's all yeah. of surfboard building luminaries and pro <clears throat> surfers show up and everything. And uh, you always honor a surfboard shaper by doing a shaping competition where a bunch of well-known shapers compete to um, shape a board that represents that the style that that honoree is known for. So the big news is you're revealing who the honoree is this year. That's right. The, the tw- icons of foam. That's right. The Icons of Foam, the 2019 Icons of Foam Tribute to the Masters, presented by U.S. Blanks. The honoree this year is none other than legendary surfer shaper, Mr. Wayne Lynch. What? 
Wayne Lynch coming over from Australia. Let me give you some background on Wayne Lynch. Of course, uh, a dynamic Australian goofy foot surfer from Victoria down there near the Bells area. Um, Lynch burst onto the scene, David, as the teenage messiah of the shortboard revolution in the eight, in the late 1960s and early 70s, and generally regarded as the inventor of vertical surfing. Um, I've been in contact with Wayne. We've been having some great conversations. He's very excited and honored to be a part of the show. Here's a quote from Reno Abalera regarding Wayne Lynch. He was the future of surfing incarnate, said Avalara. A boy wonder with searing eyes, a disarming choir boy smile, and an attacking style that often led him, left him upside down in the curl only to recover midair and land back on his wax. Lynch began surfing at age 10. The following year, he entered and won a statewide open age contest, but event organizers flustered by the smooth-cheeked phenomenon hastily gave him the, quote, best wave of the day, end quote, award, rather than the first place trophy, and banned him from competing the following year, saying he was too young. In 1965, Wayne Lynch won the first of six consecutive junior division Victoria State titles, six in a row in Victoria. Lynch Lynch's star-making moment came in 1969 with the release of Evolution, Paul Witzig's rough-hewn cult classic surf movie. Lynch, the 16-year-old master of the just-introduced shortboard, riding a 7-1 stubby, changed the direction of performance surfing almost single-handedly. Riding out of a low crouch, his thin legs collapsing and extending pneumatically from one tightly arced turn to the next. And although Nat Young and Ted Spencer co-starred in the movie Evolution, this film is mostly remembered as Wayne Lynch's showcase. Wayne Lynch won the juniors division of the Australian national titles four straight times, 67 to 1970, four straight Australian national titles. Then suddenly, Wayne Lynch dropped from public view, saying he wasn't interested in fame or money, and that he wanted to just be a surfer and not a star. Only later did he admit he spent nearly three years avoiding Australia's then-mandatory military service, not to mention a run-in with malaria. In 1975, he came back placing sixth at Bell's, then earning $3,500 for winning the 1975 Surfabout event in Sydney, the second richest pro event of the year. Lynch competed part-time for the next three years, then once again, retired. There's a really cool short film called A Day in the Life of Wayne Lynch by Jack McCoy, which shows the one-time child star dividing his time between his quiet woodsy home in Victoria and surfing alone and brilliantly in the deep water reefs nearby. Lynch, regarded by many as the ultimate soul surfer in talent and temperament, he would in years to come be likened to three-time world champion Tom Curran of California. So there you have it, David. I'm not sure if you knew this or not, but Wayne Lynch, when you look at guys like Matt Wilkinson and Ace Buckin and Owen Wright and before him, Mark Ocalupo and these great backside uh, goofy foot surfers that go vertically into the lip backside, all of this comes from the incredibly radical 
never before seen type of surfing that Wayne Lynch did in the mid to late 60s as a young shredder from Australia. So that vertical attack under the lip, completely vertical, Wayne Lynch was doing that on single fins, large single fins back well, in the day. That's what I was going to ask. This Icons of Foam thing that you do highlights a specific surfboard design and everybody tries to replicate it. What board design was he writing that was allowing him to do what nobody had ever done before? Were there modifications to the single fin? You know, he's he, in some ways he reminds me of Ryan Birch. You know, sort of tall, lanky, and a guy who, um, to answer your question, he... I guess what I'm trying to get at is he's such a phenomenal surfer. It didn't even really matter what board he was riding. Much like Birch and other really great surfers, you put Machado on any board and he'll he'll rip. And so Wayne just had natural talent, you know. But he did have boards that he shaped um, back in the mid to, he started shaping when he was a young lad. And um, the boards that you'll see him ride in, say, um, A Day in the Life of Wayne Lynch are going to be you know, pretty pulled in standard era, 1974-ish, 75-ish era single fins. Nothing too spectacular. A couple of bumps, a couple of wings in the tail and a swallow tail with the wide point forward and, and the volume forward. Much, pretty much like it most people were riding back then. But in the 60s, he was riding these crazy sort of V-bottom boards and he transitioned into um, what was often referred to as the double ender, which is, you know, kind of a round board. And... Um, and he's, he's uh, again, his talent was such that he was doing stuff. You know, he was just, it was one of those things where it was like all the stars aligned. We had this young 16-year-old kid and the shortboard revolution coming together at the same time. And he just took these shortboards, these brand new things. You know, guys were riding nine-foot boards, and then a month later, guys were riding seven-foot boards. And he's 16 years old right at the, you know, like you couldn't have asked for a better uh, confluence of situations. Mm-hmm. And here we have him getting these shortboards and just absolutely taking them to town. And basically everyone in Australia and the surf world in general from Hawaii to California going, holy mackerel, you see this kid from, from Victoria, he's insane. They were following him on Instagram and stuff. <laughs> yeah, they were following him on Instagram. But, you know, an incredible shaper, just a real natural talent. And well, uh, we're super excited um, to have him involved. I found I'll, – I'll post – the film or link to it that you're talking about a day in the life of Wayne Lynch on uh, spitpodcast.com. And then of course, Patagonia made a great film about him three years ago. I want to say called uncharted waters. Yes. And that's available for free on Patagon or on a uh, Red Bull's website. So I'll also embed that yes. on spitpodcast.com. Uh, but all great preparation for the upcoming boardroom show. Super cool story. The, a classic guy in that, you know, he, he sort of bounced around between, um, being an incredible media talent and a superstar competitively and also kind of going, you know what, I, my heart is really on the soul side of things, you know. So there's today you could say maybe like um, Dave Rostovich kind of rides that same beam. Um, there's guys that were super talented competitive surfers that just kind of like went, you know what, my this isn't really what surfing is to me. Surfing's much grander than putting on a jersey, as we all know. And, yeah. and, and is in fact the case for all surfers, even if they're on the CT. I mean, at the end of the day, um, the jersey doesn't really matter that much to us. If, you know, surfers, you know, we just like to go out and, and ride waves with our friends. I mean, that's that's what it boils down to. And Completely. So anyway, Wayne Wayne was sort of that first guy from that mold of, you know what, I the fame's kind of fleeting and it's not all it was chalked up to be. And, you know, and he's just a very honest, um, 
you know, humble guy. I mean, he, he's a really cool guy. So we're super excited. He, um, he represents a lot of what uh, the boardroom's all about. So we're pretty, I'm very excited. I'm just, I'm super excited. I'm, great, I'm over the moon. It's a great get. Yeah. Um, incidentally, his, uh, son-in-law is a listener of the show oh really so i remember he emailed me a while back a year or two ago and he was like dude i'd love to connect you with wayne at some point whenever you guys are in the same area so this will definitely give you and i opportunities to get some long-form conversations with him yeah um so awesome i'm excited man congrats thanks yeah uh we need to also acknowledge the people who make this show possible absolutely neatessentials.com um everybody definitely i mean we Started out with wetsuits with Need, and I'm still wearing their wetsuits and loving them. But, of course, board shorts, outerwear for the mountain, all that stuff. And then, of course, spyoptic.com, which I am rebranding must-see moment to the must-see happy moment presented by Spy. And I have a must-see happy moment from Spy later in the show. Cool. And, and is it David Kramer over there at Spy? No. Or what's the guy's name at Spy? Charlie. Charlie. Okay. Somebody from Spy. Well, maybe there is a David Kramer. But sent I'm- me something about... You know, the Waco thing. Like, hey, oh, yeah. you know, I'm not sure if you saw this, but. There's a number. I think a lot of the staff listens to the show, but the guy I work with is Charlie. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you do ever grab anything on spyoptic.com, which you, you should, snow goggles, um, use promo code podcast, and that definitely helps support this show. So shout out to those. We'd also love to include Sunblock sponsor. I think an accessories company would be perfect fit for the show. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, I need accessories. Like honestly, I'm, I don't have proper board bags, all that sort of stuff. So I would love to uh, take a recommendation from anybody on, and I mean like travel board bags is what I kind of need at the moment. But at any rate, well, <laughs> what else uh, do you need? Uh, yeah. you need a comb. Is anybody got a jacket I could use? Um, no, but I do. I'm in the market, so send recommendations for whatever your favorites are. Uh, so dude, yeah, that story that you were sent, let's launch with that surfer dies after contracting brain eating amoeba in the water. And is it confirmed that it did come from, you know, what wave pool in it's interesting. I've read, I've been reading various reports on this and one that I read this morning. First of all, I don't want to, I'm afraid. I don't think anyone knows for sure that it came from the Waco pool. So we've got to be very careful. Here's what I do know. Okay. The surfer, uh, Fabrizio Stabile, surfed in the Waco pool, contracted this brain-eating amoeba. The CDC tested the water in that wave pool and found that that uh, amoeba was in the water there. Oh, you're kidding. That's the first story that I read said that, the one Uh on Surfer Mag. So whether or not he contracted it there is, you know, you cannot say for sure, unless maybe they can test both versions of it and they're connected somehow but yes that's why they shut down the pool and are um adding a filtration system i think it'll be open so just imagine if you're fab the poor guy that passed away 29 years old oh yeah he's mowing the lawn you know after surfing there he comes home he's mowing his lawn he's getting kind of headaches he's not feeling good he goes he lies down wakes up with just massive you know headaches and nausea and just feeling horrible and is rushed to the hospital i mean what a you know i I don't know if there's any good way to die but this just seems like a horrible with fever nausea vomiting uh, stiff neck confusion i guess when he when he woke up in the morning he was just like incoherent yeah the 
the doctors uh, misdiagnosed it as meningitis. They weren't sure what it was, and it happened so rapidly. Your hey, body deteriorates really, really. How vastly. easy is it to misdiagnose? This oh, is yeah. super rare. It's this thing super is so per- like 143 confirmed cases since 1962. Of those 143, only four people survived. Which is crazy. I don't even know what the treatment is for it. It's crazy. Yeah. It it only enters through your nose, apparently, this amoeba. Um, But it's crazy. You and I both surfed the pool, obviously. So as soon as this story broke, of course, you sent it. I was actually in Ensenada when you sent it to me. I had a bunch of people sending. We had listeners tagging us and stuff and sending it. And the reality is, from what I read again on that surfer article originally, was that if it, the symptoms don't show up within nine days, you're in the clear, basically. But when they do show up, um, so does symptoms show up or the the symptoms? So is the thing is the thing still lingering in our bodies? No. If the symptoms don't show up within nine days, you are in the clear. Okay. And once they do show up, all those cases have died within eighteen days of the first sign of symptoms. Right. One so to eighteen days. You and I are well past that anyway right. but i mean honestly like i drank the water i'm sure you know oh, just through sure. the course of like wiping out or whatever like water definitely flushed through my sinuses no doubt so it's uh it's super scary uh nigel how do we pronounce that the amoeba nigleria falari yeah nigleria falari i'll go with that foul foulery so he died on september 21st which was actually the day before stab high which is I kind just of called shocking. Ashton this morning to find out. I mean, all those guys that didn't that stab high thing right now, I guess they're in the clear. Nine days has passed or no? It was about nine days ago. It was last Saturday. I mean, all those guys are it's on pins and needles. Wow. Nine days today. Those guys could have. I mean, so I called Ashton. I'm like, dude, what's up with, you know, just give me some insight. What is stab thinking? What are you thinking? What are the guys that are surfing thinking in the stab high thing? I mean, that would be horrendous. And what is the liability for stab even i mean obviously uh, that's, that's a like secondary the, question yeah that's pretty ter- tertiary but it's more about is everyone okay like are you calling basically i was wondering are you calling are you checking every day are people contacting you do you have lawyers contact like what the hell's going i guess that ter- goes to your li- you know your liability issue but because even if nobody can because they've kind of been on like that whole thing just kind of went shut down. on shut down like you don't hear anything about waco anything about stab high it's all just like and that water's weird, man. The water is uh, looks like a monster energy drink, basically. <laughs> like I saw somebody comment <laughs> on that because Monster that. was uh, sponsoring that event, the Stab Eye, and somebody's like, yeah, it looks like they just poured a ton of it in the pool. Uh, it's actually worse than that because it's opaque. You cannot see, like you no, mentioned. If you cup it yeah. in your hand, if you cup the water in your hand, you cannot see your hand. Right. Now, Which I don't made- think it's any different than Austin. I just think it's because Austin, they just go, we're just going to keep it the color it is. And Austin has this sort of silty, brown, dirty color to it. Like whatever, like looks like a a lake or not even a lake. It looks more like a river where there's just a lot of silt in the water. But I talked to a lot of people at Waco and they said it was, um, they dye the water. Well, I'm sure they do. But if they didn't, it would be the same. I mean, isn't the water in Austin basically the same? It's just like, no. Oh, well, maybe it is. They uh, put out an Instagram this morning and Lynn did saying, you know, we go through all of this sanitation process. We have the highest quality water engineers, blah, 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 who come and do regular treatment and all that stuff. And it seemed to me like Waco is now adding a water, water filtration system. They were not, they were, I'm I sure didn't they see were, any of those huge towers. Like in Austin, no, Texas, you exactly. see those huge filtration towers 
And you don't see those in no. Waco. And Waco also has theirs classified as a lake. It's actually not classified as a pool. So it's not held to the same stringent standards that a public pool would be, where you would have to chlorinate it and things like that. But Austin's not chlorinated, is it? I don't think it's chlorinated. <clears throat> I mean, how, what's the classification for Austin? Is it a pool? I'm sure that is a lake as well. But I think the Enlin uh, people are putting their own regulations on their pool. They're sanitizing it beyond yeah. what you would sanitize yeah. a lake. Yeah. Where it seems like BSR Cable Park wasn't putting all that preventative measure in. Right. And now they are, of course. Yeah. Um, I like how it put that they involuntarily shut down, you know, to go ahead and deal with this. I'm like, that's not exactly involuntary. <laughs> it's kind of like... Who's signing up? It's are, you like, having a, are you having a sale on surf session hours right now what's crazy is they didn't refund the sessions they, yeah. they gave a credit for it yeah. like if you had booked a session you got a, a cancellation and a gift card to re you know to use it once you're gonna be the first one back in that pool exactly exactly well that's so. horrible on a bunch of different levels of course it's a it's a big bummer for the bsr cable park oh, I mean, and for shane magnuson and nightmare. for everyone that works there because it was i mean it, it was I mean, I don't think you could ask for a more glorious opening three months or whatever it was for Waco. It was just, since June, it's just been kind of the buzz. Completely. And this is now, obviously, it's taken a lot of the buzz away. Did Ashton reply to your... No, I, okay. I called him and... I, I think got, he's in Portugal. Oh, is he? yeah, I got a voicemail. Um, so... I mean, let's focus on Fabrizio for a second. You're absolutely right. Not only a horrible way to go... But he's so young, 29 years old and a picture of health. It's like to think that life can kind of turn so quickly when you're not even doing anything wrong necessarily. You know, it's just kind of like complete rare thing to have happen. We've all surfed that pool. I mean, thousands of people have surfed that pool with zero incident. So that thing came out of left field completely. And he probably never even identified what it was, especially if he just went to sleep and then he woke up in that state of incoherence. Life is just done. It's crazy to think about, you know, it's a, it's actually a really good reminder on how to um, live in gratitude and try to maximize each day, you know? Yeah, it is. It's a bummer for this poor guy, Fab. And of course, and for his family, family yeah. and all those people that are st still mourning his loss, which will be a long time. It is a strange way to go. And, and it's just kind of a random thing. And you're right, this guy, you know, was living a pretty cool life. I guess he was really into fishing, um, really into the outdoors, obviously a big time surfer. And um, man, it's just, it's just crazy. I mean, it really, it really kind of puts, uh, I mean, the whole wave pool industry was on this big kind of riding this big buzz. And this just like took the air out of everything, you know, like every new wave pool that's about to open. Obviously, they are all going to have to have some crazy new, you know, level of uh, regulation that they're going to have to meet. And I think what's going to happen, of course, I don't know. I'm just riffing with you like, you know, we're having a cup of coffee here together. I think they're all going to have to meet that same level that like a water park would have to meet where it's going to have to be clear chlorinated, you know, blue water, basically. No, no more of this lake type water situation. I have a feeling when you're building one of those in Waco, the building department or the st whoever doesn't even have a checklist for how to 
uh regulate this thing you know it's just like is it a lake is it a pool well we're not sure we've never seen anything like it we have no framework so let's just figure it out as we go but you're right now that there's been an incident and there's a number of these things being built there will be some sort of governing body absolutely especially here in california where we know one's being built out in palm desert near the coachella valley and and you're right in waco i mean first of all he's been running a a wake park for a year for two decades yeah. or something so he's everything's been fine so i mean when they build a new attraction so to speak and nobody even checks it off they're like all right cool same water whatever it's been fine yeah. you know what i mean like i don't even think there was any flags raised i don't even think anyone checks checks off right. and yeah. especially in waco where it seems like it's pretty wild wild east or wild wild west or whatever like there's wild a, wild midwest it's texas you know like there's a not a lot of People telling you no, especially when, you know, you got a lot of money, you're supporting the region, you're you're employing a bunch of people. And you're an established business with yeah, a great you're track totally record. Legit. You're not doing anything wrong. You're just trying to And that's a that's the bummer for BSR Cable Park is that it is a it's a bummer for them. It's like completely it's just um they didn't even know how to mitigate against it. I think they could have taken more preventative measures, but they didn't know how to mitigate against it, you know? So, do you think that um, signups at Austin have, have absolutely have, have gone way down? Absolutely, dude. Just, that's it's, your gut feeling, or have you reached it, out to it, them? I did not reach out. It is my gut feeling. I think that when any news story like this comes out, there's probably a bunch of people who don't read the fine details. They just see somebody died in a wave pool in Texas. Wave pools now have the plague on them, and then Texas especially has it on them. You know, from a PR standpoint. It'd be interesting to go to the various wave pools, like the one in England, the one in Austin, just to go to their websites and see if there's any sort of declaration on the website. Like, hey, we're good. Please come vote, you know, join well, I, us. I did mention to you that Enlin just posted that Instagram this morning. Oh, okay. That was this morning. Yeah. yeah. And I think they were closed anyways. I think Enlin's closed for the next couple of months doing repairs. Oh. So it probably isn't affecting their signups anyway. Um, but I did talk to the lead engineer at um, American Wave Machines, and he told me that there's like there's two pools already built. That American Wave Machines has already built a pool in Jersey and one in Russia. Yeah, on the Bering Sea. Yeah. and I, a listener actually sent me the GPS coordinates for the one in Russia, so you could see the Google aerial shot of it. Um, and there's like 20 more under contract or something like these things are going to be in the next two years, they're going to be everywhere. So it's important that we kind of suss all this stuff out sooner rather than. Yeah. Later. And, and in many ways it's probably, I mean, I hate to say it's a good thing. It's not a good thing, but you know, at least we know that everyone that's going to be surfing in these pools is going to be safe from something like this moving forward. Safer. If they all adopt, you know, adopt you know, a new best practices. Right. I see here Surf Snowdonia, the wave pool in England, has an early season closure. We're closing this season to accommodate our exciting expansion plans. We'll be running our last waves of the year Sunday, October 7th. Um, did you watch any of Stab High? No, I didn't. Yeah. I wasn't. Did you see any I, of the uh, recaps or anything? No. I mean, maybe one, you know, maybe a couple. I think I saw Mason Ho. I didn't even care. I don't know. I, no, I guess the answer is no. I didn't care. I, mm-hmm. I, 
Did you? I, you watched it with Chaz. Didn't you watch it live or something? I watched it live, yeah. Um, How was it? It was good. From what I've gathered after hearing listener feedback, it would have been better watching with the volume on. <coughs> we weren't watching with the volume on, you know, because we we're trying to record. But um, Why? What's that? Why the volume up? Why, Why did it, listeners say it was better? Yeah. I guess um, you felt the energy of the event better with commentators referencing what was happening and explaining um, and, the format. Yeah, yeah. And I think that some of the um, surfers gave really interesting post heat interviews. You know, everybody's drinking beer throughout the whole day. So there's some intoxication going on. I heard Hector Santa Maria was amazing. Like his post heat interview. He's like this super hippied out guru guy from Puerto Rico. Yeah. He's just there for the love, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and Austin Gillette, who's like a skater was doing some of the post heat interviews and he was just kind of, roasting everybody and giving them a hard time um i guess dion agius got a chick to flash while he was doing his acid drop off the pool into a wave just random local baylor college chick flashing you know and there's lots of chicks in bikinis so a lot of that stuff i didn't even witness on camera but you know damian farinfort and shane dorian in the booth are referencing it and making jokes about it and stuff which added to the enjoyment of the viewing experience okay but if you happen to miss the titty flash which was probably three seconds on the screen and i'm looking away then i have no idea it happened and it's less exciting you know that's kind of interesting that dorian was involved well it was sponsored by monster so i think they got all the monster athletes to come do it so dorian was in the booth bobby martinez was in the booth what was that like terrible really absolutely terrible dude that's funny because you and i were like that's who should be in the booth you know you can't give him long form Exactly. You and I have, we've said that, but we've also said it knowing that it's like, well, there's about one layer of depth that will be entertaining, which is him being upset at things. And then, <laughs> Just be upset at things, Bobby. Okay, go. Exactly. Remember you coined um, the negative vibe warrior? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Bobby Martinez, negative vibe warrior. And so I think it's kind of like that. And then, you know, it's it's him doing that, that shtick. Yeah. And then not having a critical take on what you could do to improve anything or yeah, it's just, or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I heard well, that. Yeah. But. That's not really his place. He's a better surfer than he is a commentator. Yeah. And he's not even an air guy, you know? Yeah. Which is also kind of, And neither is Shane, I suppose. Although Shane. Well, well I, I find Dorian interesting. interesting is because his close connection with Kelly. Yeah. I mean, they're best yeah. friends. And, you know, Kelly's the God's father of his son and all yeah. that. And so I wonder if there's wave pool bad blood there i mean maybe i don't there probably isn't i mean these guys are above that but on some level do you think that dorian has to like tip him off hey by the way i've been asked to come out there so it's gonna be fun i'm sure my son and i are going out there and they're really different business models you know yeah i know they really are the dsr thing versus slater's pool is just so different they are totally different. you know what i'm considering doing and i want to see if i can get you to sign on to this yeah moratorium on all wave pool talk Really? I dude, we've been like nonstop for the last two years. That's been like the main focus of conversation. I'm saying it doesn't have to be permanent, but can we do like three months? If, uh, well, if, I think that's silly, first of all. If the word wave pool comes out of either of our mouths, we owe like five bucks. <laughs> have you been getting feedback down. from listeners that are like, dude, stop with the wave pool? I so I I'm okay with it. I'm just concerned that there could be news like this that comes like are you sure you don't wanna have I mean, our job is to kind of talk about what's in the news, you know, like yeah. our, it's not our job to like filter it. 
You're right. That's a good point. Are you sick of talking about wave pools? Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily want to talk. I don't like go into it going, let's talk about wave pools, but it's just kind of been in the news. It's kind of like the shit to talk about lately because of all the, I mean, look, we had a WCT event. We got this new wave pool in Waco. Now we got this amoeba thing. I mean, it's kind of happening. It's kind of like. I think it's happening in the ocean too, and we're not paying attention. I'm paying attention in the ocean. I'm all about the ocean. Dude, you missed Rosa with your ear thing. I know. I know. Rosa, Hurricane Rosa just hit with freaking full fury. It was a cool swell. It was such an interesting swell the way because it, it was so steep. For those that don't know, you know, we you get these hurricane swells. They're really, really steep here in Southern California. Most of Southern California can get a 180 degree swell. Uh, San Diego really can't get anything until you're talking about 190. Although there are some little pockets that'll get steeper south swell. But point is, these hurricanes are like 165. 175 degree swell angle and they march in it's such a crazy almost perpendicular to the to the to the coastline that they it's it's just you could be surfing a spot for 35 years and surf a hurricane swell and it's just a completely different wave the way it breaks now that you know this different angle marches in so i found it fascinating watching it you know watching these spots that i know really well and how they were reacting to this 180 175 degree swell angle northern i was in northern baja up until saturday so i just missed it because it kind of hit sunday how come you left i had to be home for something what the hell dude (laughs) well what kind of surfer are you there was swell here as well actually you were in northern baja that's the best place you can be for the swells i got photos from the day i left it's freaking pumping it's pumping so okay this don't name names but we know there's a bunch of points down there that that's that's why they're god put them there is for 165 degree hurricane swells this is a better topic of conversation than right now uh rather than talking about the swell but all right i'll just show you a photo Okay, David's showing me a photo. You can swipe one over to the right. I think of, a newer. There's a newer one than that too. Okay, yeah, How this is, is the spot bombing. Did you see? Did, oh, you weren't here though. You left before this. I can't believe you left before this. Yeah, this is such a freaking killer wave. When it's on, is that somebody skiing in? I don't think so. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free that's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free terms and conditions apply yeah well it's got to be on 
But, but it's like I've I've gotten overhead. such good waves here. Like of my this is like reminds me of my childhood. Like yeah. what you're showing me here. Yeah. Oh, such a fun wave. Bombing. You know what I always see down here. Quick. Quit swiping through there. Oh, why? Are there pictures of you naked with your chick? I don't want chick? you to see anything. What do you I'm got? Not, I'm not talking. Oh, my um, God. There's pictures of David naked with his chick on his iPhone. <laughs> That's insane. Look at you. Uh, wow. So, I bet you didn't know I wore a Speedo, huh? You got a chop hop down there, too. That's horrible. <laughs> that takes some careful manicuring, Scott. You know who surfs down there all the time on those is uh, Javier from XDR. Yeah. Okay. So, here's a better topic of conversation than the swell, even is I don't... You're asking why I left Baja, right? Yeah. I honestly have not planned my life around a swell in a decade, I'd say. And I'm not necessarily ashamed of that. Because my buddy who sent me those photos was like, oh, you should stick around if you can. And I was like... And then I had that epiphany. I go, you know what? Honestly, it's neither here nor there. Like, the good news is that swell will also be hitting in Southern California. So I'll get waves at home too. But... I'm in a point in my life where it's like work and all these other obligations, family, relationships, those things kind of have priority right now. There was a period of time, certainly in my teens and even through my early 20s, where absolutely chasing the swell took priority. But I'm in a phase where I don't even care, really. I mean, I'd rather get good waves, but these other things have equal import importance to me. And I'm fully okay with it because, by the way, it's not as if I'm starved for waves. It's not like I haven't surfed for three months and this is my only chance to get waves. I got decent waves while I was there, and then I'm going to get decent waves when I get home to throw all of my obligations aside to get the double, triple overhead waves. It's not the time in my life to do that. Okay, I'm conflicted. You're, you're, I see you I'm cringing conflicted. and then nodding. And then yeah, cringing I, I'm and conflicted because I, I absolutely... Um, I'm sort of envious of the liberation that you've had from this ball and chain known as surfing. The it's fact true. that you can do that because I have anxiety all yes. in me right now based on you leaving. Like I, I'm like, oh my God, what, what the fuck? This guy's not even a hardcore surfer. Exactly. I've had people say, David's not even a hardcore surfer. Yeah. I'm like, no, 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 Dave, you know, like this is a, but, but I mean, I think deep down, if it's not like I, it's not like we're asking you to stay for a four foot swell. We're like it. There's other places. Life, there's other places well. down there where you could have gotten really fun waves, not like life, you know, not right. like pounding. But but to your point and your friend's <laughs> point, you're right. This I respect is a lifetime you, but swell. then I also don't respect you for this. Like I'm I'm torn. I'm torn. Here's what I would tell your friends: David's not a hard or a what hardcore surfer? Is that what they said? Yeah, yeah. You're right because my life is balanced, and I don't care that much. Like. My life is centered around it in a sense in that I work it and I do it and I, you know, pa this passion project of a podcast is all about it, but it doesn't mandate my life schedule. You know, it's like, it's a huge, and I've done it for 30 years now or 25 years, let's say, but I'm not beholden to it. Like you said, the ball and chain is a good analogy. I've gone through a decade or two where it was that way and the anxiety that it creates or I'd say the payoff that it generates isn't worth all of the anxiety and FOMO that it also creates. When I'm at work and I scroll on my phone and I see somebody got shacked at the pier this morning when instead I had to go to work, that used to generate a lot of anxiety in me to where I then wouldn't enjoy my work life and I would regret having to go to a birthday party for my brother or whatever. And all of that actually wasn't worth the fun of getting that barrel at the pier that morning. And 
with the caveat of I'll just go tomorrow when it might be half the size and get a really fun wave too. And then everything equals out. You know what I mean? So I'm not saying throw out surfing altogether. I'm saying there is a balance where you can enjoy all of those things. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm sort of torn, but I'm leaning way more towards, I understand where you're coming from because I'm finally starting to mature a little bit. Like you're like 10 years younger than me or something. I'm 37. You're only 37. Yeah. So how many years younger than you is that? <laughs> like, like, well, you look 10 years younger than me. Let's just say that. <laughs> um, so I, you know, for you to come to this stage of, uh, enlightenment regarding the ball and chain, which is surfing is great. You know, Thanks. and really, who should care? Why do I care if you left early? Like, like who cares? You know, I know, oh, by the way, although I did have ear surgery, but I could have gone down there if I didn't have ear surgery. And I have in the past, um, just a couple of years ago for Maria. Yeah. And it was insane. It was so good. And it was just like that, you yeah. know. And, um, but, <clears throat> but I do, when I see people that have the ability to be liberated from the anxiety of surfing, I am envious. And, and I get it. And so, well, mine is my, however, this is an interesting situation because you were already down there. You knew the swell was coming. Even if that particular spot was going to be too heavy, there are a lot of super fun waves that you could have gotten in and around down there. You could have had really pretty much empty. Was it pretty much empty? I mean, there was probably the some servers. No, I mean, pretty, it's always kind of empty down there rel empty. relative to Huntington. Yeah, yeah. So what was it that was more important? Was it a birthday party? Was it like it was my my birthday? Well, fuck! Excuse my yeah, friends. but I have family obligations. No, no, it's your birthday. You could have. What were your obligations to your family? You I, had a party to go. Yeah, you had a dinner. dinner. Dinner's planned. A my Sunday evening and stuff dinner. Like that. Yeah. Could they, you have surfed Sunday and then driven home and been home for your birthday? They would have understood, but I was also with a group of guys who don't surf, and so they all. What had were you scheduled. doing in Mexico with a group of guys that don't surf? Like first well, of all, they, that's a problem. So they scheduled the trip um, because they were doing that Rosarito to Ensenada bike ride, that like fifty mile bike ride. Right. So they were going for that. Then they offered me. They're just like, "Hey, do you want to come cruise along?" And I was like, "Sure, I'll go down there. We'll stay in the wine country." do that for a couple of days. I'll surf while they're riding bikes. But then the ride was over on Saturday. Everybody had obligations at home. My birthday as well. So it was like, okay, well, I'll come back. We'll all come back together. That's just what the plan was. I was along for the ride, basically, with them. Um, so people, listeners are going to question your surf stoke. Fine. They should. Because they question it in their own lives. The reason why I bring it up is figuring out how surfing fits into your life and how to prioritize prioritize your life is something that everybody from the novice to kelly slater deals with you know what i mean yeah so i'm fine discussing it and i'm not even ashamed of it i don't care if i've only surfed once in three months hey that's life that's what happens let's discuss it and discuss why and how bummed i am about it you know what i mean yeah no i do i, I do get whether, that I whether do, or not I, i'm a yeah. valid surfer and somebody else's right. matters zero good for you and that's really where surfers are the worst like when they're like oh did you hear david's not even into it can you believe he left the swell like that's kind of like the epitome of why do you give a crap? You know, like surfers are the worst, you know, like, so in other words, there's some sort of resentment that they have against you based on their own anxiety about being able to like make you less than 
than they are. You know, like they have the ability to look down on you and sneer. So all of a sudden they get to any chance that surfers get to sneer because you bailed on a swell, they'll take it and they will run with it and they'll go Instagram the living shit out of it. You know, yeah. And this is why surfers are the worst because if, for instance, say, I don't know, you are a kite flyer or you, or you are, let's say you are a fisherman. And you're like, hey, I've got to go. I wish I could stay. I'm sure the bite's going to be really good tomorrow, but I got to go to my family um, birthday party. All the fish are going to be like, dude, bummer. Okay, sorry. You know what? Wish you could have had it, but next time. Whereas surfers are like, oh, can you believe that guy? Like fishermen aren't going to be like, oh, can you believe that guy left? You know? They're glad to see Only surfers do that. Yeah. And surfers are the worst because of it. Yeah. No, I agree. And the caveat on my caveat with this whole conversation is... In the future, it will be a priority for me. You know, like I'm looking at the long game going, well, right now at this phase in my life, these there's certain strike while the iron's hot mentality with various things. And I need to just kind of focus on those things right now. I'll adjust my priorities later in life to be able to do that. Focus on the swell. And I will do it. And I did it in the past. So the, the, the big question is, are you really a surfer? Are you really a surfer? Deep down, are you a surfer? Because I think oh, a surfer, it's so fascinating, actually, this topic. It's fascinating on a number of levels. Dating back to the very first issue of Surfer Magazine when John Severson wrote, surfers will forever be searching for the endless perfect wave or whatever. I'm butchered the, the quote, but <clears throat> it's a very famous quote. He forever set up this, this, dico- this, this, uh, this theme that runs through our lives that we have to go searching for the perfect wave. And if you don't get it, you're not really a surfer. And and so on that level, it's fascinating, right? Like, in other words, do we buy into what Severson said? And, and 99.99% of surfers have. And you haven't. So on that level, I, I find it fascinating. On the level of, are you a surfer? Are you a surfer? Well, if, everybody defines that differently. Right. Yeah. And, and, and again, this all falls under the umbrella of who gives a shit? Surfers are the worst. Why do you even care yeah. what David Lee Scales is or Scott Bass is? Like, yeah. wh- why? But Yeah, I mean, honestly, you pose that question as if it's a, uh, a real kind of epiphany or litmus test for something. The question, I don't care about. It's almost like, I don't care how you answer it. I don't even feel a need to answer it myself. I don't really... Like deep down, I identify as a surfer. Like in my head, I'm constantly always surfing and thinking about surfing and looking at the waves and all that. But I never outwardly express surfing. You look at me, I don't dress like a surfer. If I went into any restaurant, even in Southern California, they wouldn't go, oh, that guy surfs. I intentionally try to forego kind of the traditional stereotype of the surfer. Um, and I'm not sure why I even I that. get that. I get that when people go, yeah. oh, do you surf? I go, well, no, actually it happened with my ear surgery. You know, like the nurses are like, oh, you must be a surfer. And I'm like, well, I like to identify as a father, you know, and a believer. Yeah. And, you know, I, de- I identify other things. And, and, we, and I start to go down this philosophical rabbit hole with this nurse. And she's like, I was just wondering if you surf because you're, you know, like, oh, I'm sorry. Forget it. Yeah, I surf. I get yeah. it. But I, I identify with you saying, I don't necessarily want to be the guy that's, oh, that's the surfer. Like, not that's all. not really who I am in the big picture of things, you know? But in my head, I am definitely a surfer foremost. You know, like, I don't think of the other physical activities I do at, even in a but second. But ident- the way you identify internally, 
should, you would think, have to manifest externally through it a is. perfect swell that's showing up that you stay for and ride. No, because I got waves the day I left and the day before, and I'm going to get waves the day I get home. Right. So whether I stick around for the perfect version to to and then abandon these other obligations just that's the cab that's the one little rub you know yeah and you're right at times in my life i would have and times in the future i will but at this time it's less important to me yeah um i told you that conversation was much more interesting than rosa itself (laughs) (laughs) yes it is actually there's a lot of different layers to that conversation and it's an ongoing and i would ask the listeners do you are you okay with identifying as a surfer? Like, do you cringe a little when people go, oh, you're the surfer? Like, especially if you're in a family I of like, you have siblings and stuff. And it's like, oh, he's the physicist. He's the football player. And this one over here is the surfer, you know, and you get pigeonholed into this thing. And it's like, and it's kind of not really, it's not that. It's embarrassing. It's a embarrassing bit. a yeah. little bit. Are, are there listeners embarrassed by this moniker surfer? It probably depends where you live. Like there's parts of the world, let's say the Northeast of the U.S., where it's a badge of honor because of all the hardship you have to go through to find waves. You know, it's pretty rugged. Um, you're not. No, no, no I'm just thinking. Especially during the winter time. You badge know? of honor. It's sort of an interesting concept. Yeah. Um, but here it's an it's a novelty. It's like, oh, everybody surfs, you know, and not what, so much. You know where it's really like that is in Hawaii. Yeah. In Hawaii, it's just like. It's no no one would go. Oh, you're the surfer because no. everyone's just in the ocean. Right. It's just part of their culture. Exactly. You know? I just, I mean, if I go to, uh, let's say, get my hair cut, let's say the doctor or whatever, and they're like asking me a question about, or maybe it's the dermatologist asking me a question about my skin or something, I'll say, yeah, I spend a lot of time in the water. That's how I'll phrase it. Oftentimes, right. it's right. not, oh, I'm a surfer. I'll just say, yeah, I spend a lot of time in the water, and then they'll say. I guess with the dermatologist, I would be more specific. But say getting a haircut and they say something about my hair and they're like, oh, yeah, I spend a lot of time in the water. And then they can assume whether it's swimming or a boating or whatever. Or then they might ask. They're like, why is your hair so dirty? (laughs) But then I will. But And then if they dig deeper, I'll tell them, yeah, I surf. Or they'll say, do you surf? And I'll say yes. But I never lead with, yeah, bro, I'm a surfer. Yeah. You know. Can't you see my puka shell necklace? <laughs> the tan line for my puka shells? <laughs> oh, lordy. Um, at any rate, dude, there's a couple spots. I mean... Well, Rosa, yeah, Hurricane Joel, Rosa. So Joel Tudor yeah. um, from your hometown I saw was the, up in my hometown scoring a local spot that rarely... Oh, is that where he was riding that big longboard? Yeah. And he said... Where is that? You can't tell me, can I'll tell you off air. I mean, yeah. it's the one spot in that zone that looks like Pipeline. Is it like San Pedro or something? No, 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 no. It's down, down near you? South, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, oh, it's like Corona Del Mar. No. You're not going like, no. to tell me. No, I'll tell you off air. Okay. But you, Surfers of the You worst. know exactly where it is. Um, okay. But he was saying that is the best he's seen it. Even And I know Hurricane Maria, it got epic there. He said it was better than Hurricane Maria. He said it was the best he's seen it. I so thought it was Big Rock. When I saw it, I'm like, oh, it looks like Big Rock. Maybe he was at Big Rock too, but yesterday morning was what I'm talking about. Yeah, and it's did Vans posted or something? It's it's Joel on Vans's Instagram account. I didn't see that one. I'm thinking of Jack Coleman Pluto. Uh, um, well, this Hurricane Rosa was fascinating. It's actually <clears throat> still kind of lingering this morning, but um, there's Joel. You could swear. Oh, I think I know forth. where this is. You know where it is, dude. Yeah, it's a perfect left when it gets giant. It's like double, triple overhead. Yeah. 
sand bottom. Is it between? Can I can I try to narrow it down? Sure. Is it between um, Newport and Doheny? No. Huh? It's not where I thought it was. Anyway, we'll figure it out later. Yeah. Because <laughs> surfers and waves, we can't name the spot. I'll it only breaks there. once every ten years. <laughs> uh, and it was breaking yesterday. It's probably still today. Uh, um. What else, Scott? You know what I want to ask a you A lot about? else. Okay, you go then. Well, I mean, on a sad note, we've got this shark attack at Beacons. Dude, so crazy. I want to say, was it Saturday or... F- I think it was Saturday. It was Saturday. Yeah, Saturday. So, Saturday this boy, his name's Keen. I don't have his last name in front of me, but... 13-year-old Keen, bitten by the shark, by a great white shark in the San Diego area. Um, he's expected to make a full recovery. And um, <clears throat> again, the attack happened Saturday morning, opening day of lobster season here in Southern California. And um, he was diving. He was diving for lobster. And there was other divers out there. The waves were small. The swell hadn't hit yet. And <clears throat> they weren't very far out. They were, they, were, they were diving where if there had been any swell whatsoever, there would have been surfers where they were. They were just not very far out. You know, I want to say... 50 yards off the beach, you know, because it was flat. And there's really good reef right there at Beacons for diving for lobster. And uh, gr- I believe it was a great white shark. I'm going to go ahead and say it was a great white shark. They haven't identified the shark species, but my gut, based on the image I just showed you. So I just showed David a picture that hasn't made the rounds, and I'm not putting it out there on purpose. But it's a picture from the emergency room of the wounds on this poor kid's back and it is a mauling an aggressive aggressive attack by a large man-eating shark it's um i my first question was he survived this like it is horrific it is what you would imagine your back would look like if a shark that was larger what way larger than you came up and took a full bite out of your torso from behind yeah it's horrific yeah so there's big big injury large trauma on his clavicle his shoulder into his arm down his back all the way to his buttocks i mean yeah and it's massive tissue loss like huge chunks of meat and bone gone and um it's very sad i mean this poor 13 year old kid so he shouted to his friends i'm bit i'm bit i'm bit and i guess did they get him on a surfboard? Did a surfer a come kayak. A kayak. There was other divers. There was a, like 11 divers. Interestingly, the captain of the lifeguards, Larry Giles, was out diving. Everyone was diving for lobster. Good day for it. Low surge. And these guys, these kayakers had their kayak um, you know, on anchor, and they were diving too. And this kid came up, I'm bit, I'm bit, I'm bit. And at first, the kayaker thought, oh, he's just bragging that he got one. Like he was screaming that he got one. And then he realized, no, this is something's going on here. And so they swam to their kayak, pulled up anchor, rowed over to the kid, pulled him onto the kayak, and and moved him onto the shore via kayak. And, of course, all the divers swam in at the same time. There was only two surfers out. They paddled in, and um, and immediately, you know, there was Code 3 lifeguards. I was actually on the beach in Cardiff that morning, 7 a.m., and I saw the Solana Beach Guard drive by Code 3. No siren, but full lights, full speed. 
And I was like, oh, that's weird. I didn't even think much of it, you know. And um, sure enough, they had to land a life flight helicopter, pick him up, take him to Rady's Children's Hospital. And he was in critical condition. Oh, yeah. He's now in serious condition. It looks like he's going to make um, a full recovery. And his mom had this to say, um, the boy's mother, Ellie, um, said she's still processing the situation, but she's obviously grateful that her son is alive. And she said, and I quote, Keen is a really special kid. He's really neat. And one word I would describe him as is nice. He's a nice kid. He's very brave, very strong. He's a warrior. I didn't know he was that good of a swimmer. I'm really proud of him. She also said that Keen is talking and alert and eating as he recovers in the emergency, uh, in the serious uh, emergency room situation. Uh, she said that when her son is ready, he will share his story of the attack and how he survived. And, and I quote, this is Keen's story. It belongs to him. I wasn't out there and I can't imagine. I'm sure he'll share it when he's ready. I just want to tell him that I love him from the bottom of my heart. Sweet. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's intense. There are sharks in the ocean. Got to be well, with, ever vigilant. So, right. The next question to you is, and I believe this to be the case that look, there's a lot of food for sharks in Southern California. Now there's, you know, seals and sea lions have been protected for decades and there's no lack of seals and sea lions in the ocean in Southern California, in San Diego, in and in fact, where you live, in Orange County. And there's been a noticed increase in great white sharks. Like, there used to just not be this noticeable amount of great white sharks. Now, do you pin it on, well, there's more people in the ocean, more eyeballs in the ocean, more people can see these things. They've always been there. There's more people on stand-up paddle boards further out. These things have always been there, and we're just now noticing them. Or is it the opposite? There's way more seals, way more food for them. They're coming in closer. Um, global warming's made water temperatures different. Like, there's a lot of variables here, and I'm not an expert. It, well, I don't, I'm, I'm ignorant about. Yeah, it, it could be both. Be both. Yeah. yeah, more but, more protection of the sea life, so there's more animals out there, and there's more people witnessing the animals. Here's what we do know: since there was one fatal great white shark attack at La Jolla Cove in like 1957 or something like that, a woman was swimming, and she was attacked. Since then, there wasn't, there weren't any attacks in Southern California by great white sharks until, sadly, in 2005, I want to say, something like that, there was a fatal great white shark attack at Fletcher at Tabletops in Solana Beach. Just two miles away, this happened this Saturday. Before that, there's been a lot, an increase in sightings. And of course, at San Onofre, this poor lady had her leg mauled off almost. Maybe it was taken completely off while she was surfing at San Onofre. So we've had since 55-ish, 57-ish, we haven't had anything. And now in 05 to now, 14-year span, we've had one fatal great white shark attack and two great white shark attacks that frankly could have been fatal, but there was enough people around to... To be, you know, to basically put an end to the bleeding, which is how people usually die from these attacks, is bleeding out through a femoral artery. And so, is this a coincidence? Have we just not to mention the sightings? So we've had a bunch of sightings and three horrific shark attacks in just you know twelve years, relative to the only other one forty-five, fifty years ago. Did you ever dive? I have. Yes, I've 
I'm not a diver, yeah. but I have. But you've spent time under the water in yes. the environment. It's <clears throat> so scary. It is. I mean, having all of your senses stripped from you other than your vision, and even your vision is more tunneled. You can't. You don't have periphery because of the goggles. Um, it's scary. The dead silence is really scary. And sometimes you'll turn and there will be a school of fish or something, and it startles the crap out of you. Um, a friend of mine was a diver in the Navy, and he said – He's seen whales show up in his kind of periphery or what exists of it. And it's like the thing is the size of a school bus and it haunts you. You know, your your animal instinct in your body just sends shivers down your spine and you are completely <laughs> frightened. And obviously a shark is a predator, so you probably don't see that coming. But you couldn't look more like a seal if you tried. For a diver who's in a wetsuit, it's like if you tried to dress up Especially like... Especially a young boy, right? Yeah. A 13-year-old that's not quite full in an adult. Exactly. If you tried to dress up like a seal for Halloween, you would wear a wetsuit, a dive outfit. You know what I mean? Like right. you look exactly like the shark's food. Yeah. So, I mean, that is just a really, really frightening situation. Oh, and, and by the you, way, yeah. my friend Ian... Just last week, I came back from Mexico. The very first thing out of his mouth, hey, did you hear about my shark story? I went, no. He goes, yeah, I was surfing beacons where this attack happened. And an eight-foot shark went right underneath me. And I called the lifeguards. And I was like, I don't know. It was kind of murky. You know, I, I'm, you know, because um, the lifeguards were like, well, here's the different types it could have been. Was it this type? Was it this type? Was it this type? Based on what you tell me, if you tell me it was these four types, I'm going to close the beach right now. If it was these types, we're just going to keep it open. And and Ian was like, I don't really know. Yeah. I can't tell you. Yeah. And so they just let it all go. Yeah. So I, I interrupted, but I wanted to make note that there was my dear friend had a shark sighting, a large shark sighting at Beacons a week prior to this. Right. Yeah. Scary, dude. Um, so you didn't answer my question. What was the question? Should we slaughter all the sharks in the ocean? You never asked that question. <laughs> the short answer, yes. 100%. Oh my. With a machine gun. Go out there, AK-47 style. Oh, my. Um, so this is a topic that we haven't brought up in quite a long time on this show. But WSL event tomorrow in the ocean. Right. Starts tomorrow. Holy shit. They do that? An actual they have event surfing contest in the ocean. In the ocean. Tomorrow. I have set my team. I'm excited. Um, I stopped doing the fantasy thing. Dude. I know it's kind of it's. It, what does that tell us that we're not into the fantasy thing? That we're not as engaged it, as I just got my ass kicked for five years in a row. I did kick your like, ass for five years in a row. Not That's you. True. No, no, it was me. Listeners, and no, so, it was me. It, so it's kind of like, well, I suck at that. There's no point in doing that anymore. <laughs> but no, I, I would actually. I did enjoy fantasy for a long time, but. Uh, I think when it's just you and I, it's kind of fun. But when you have to manage a whole clubhouse like you did, it's Dude, kind of a burden. 400, 500 people in that clubhouse. I mean, like, somebody should take over for us. Like, there should be a listener that runs that for you. Um, they've offered, but even that would require a certain amount of oversight on my part. Oh, my God. You're such a control freak. You're like, oh, <laughs> you can't run the Surf Splendor spit fantasy team without me making sure all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. I don't mind that. I mind if people are contributing money to it because we were doing the 10 buck thing so it's yeah. like well dude if i put it in somebody else's hand and then they don't pay out the person well you could control the money but they 
they control keeping everyone up to speed, like emailing out to the a blast yeah, to yeah, everyone, yeah. doing all that stuff. Okay, let me ask you two questions then about France. Okay. I want your pick to win the event and yes. your underdog pick. Like who is going to be the biggest differential for your fantasy team that's going to like earn you the most points? Like who's nobody looking at that is going to end up in the final series? Okay, bear with me because I'm going to just pull up my team real quick. All right. And I'll tell you who I, I have winning the event is Gabe Medina. Okay. And as I go to my team, I'll tell you that my underdog pick is Michael Rodriguez. It's an interesting he's, one. Yeah, he's a $5 million. He's, he's, that's the one. I mean, I've got some like run-of-the-mill. i got Felipe. I've got Idolo. You'll be happy to know I have Wade Carmichael. Yeah. I have Ace Buck and I have Griffin. I have Mikey right, but the one that sticks out to me that's a is Michael horse. Rodriguez. Yeah, that's a dark horse. So the interesting thing about him is uh, we, you and I saw him at Snapper this year, and we thought, oh my gosh, this guy's the real deal, highest expectation in the world. Yeah. He's kind of fallen off the radar in the last five events, let's say. Yeah. And even at places you think he would have done well, like Surf Ranch, just didn't deliver. And uh, I saw him at Waco, at the Wave Pool. He was there the same day as me, and I was like, Oh my gosh, this guy's gonna blow away. He was there with Mason Ho and Yago Dor and some other guys. I'm like, Michael Rodriguez is gonna be the one to watch. He wasn't. He didn't. He didn't land much of anything. So I don't know if he got a lot of that hype early on, and he hasn't been able to just like maybe the pressure got to him. But the question for me with France, you would think he would do well at a beach break, but it's shifty there. France is kind of an anomaly of a beach break you need to know yeah you need to have surfed it i think a lot i agree with that and so i was gonna pick i don't know if this qualifies as a dark horse but ace buckin well, is a he's, guy he's not i agree with you he's not really a dark horse he's done well there that's why he's not a dark horse. he's not a dark but he's horse. under the radar i would say like well he's he's you don't think of him he's like the blue collar guy like he's but he always ends up in the like in have the you ever course. seen ace buckin do an air no yeah he's kind of like luke egan but he, like he's like this generation's Luke Egan. He's like a really solid, competitive, yeah. goofy foot that's going to do well, and especially at places like this where you need to have been here and competed out here for many years to get it. He's won it in the past. He's always in the quarterfinals at least, and it's always just he finds waves that allow him to do a couple of big backside snaps on, and he gets an eight all yeah. the time. Just yeah, all the time. No matter if it's two foot or giant. So, yeah, he's like Wayne Lynch. He's like the guy that can do that incredible vertical backside snap. That you just can't, as a judge, it never goes out of style. No, it's so vertical. It's just bad. So, I would so Ace isn't Ace. a dark horse, I okay. don't think. I don't think you can place him as a dark horse. He's kind of like middle of the road. Let me put it this way. If he's in the semis, would you be surprised? No. No. So he's not a dark he horse. He will be in the semis. Yeah, that's not a dark horse. Um, Keanu a sing. Is a dark horse. He's, he's won it. He didn't won. He? he won the event, but nobody would think of him. Yeah, exactly. You know, no. Even when he won it, we're like, no, that couldn't have happened. He's currently. <laughs> did yeah, he exactly. beat Gabe? Or he, he beat did. Felipe or Gabe or something? Oh, the, I forget. Yeah, it was one of the Brazilian rippers. Yeah, I think it was Gabe. Yeah, he uh, he's in thirty sixth right now on the ratings. So it's like you wouldn't even think. But he's also going to come up against the. Felipe's and the Gabriels because he's 36. It speaks to the nature of the way that you were just talking about. It is tricky, man. It moves around. It's different. And, and you got to know the tides and the bars. And it's a fun wave to serve. France is a fun place to serve. The rest of it, I'm not so sure about. Okay. So, well, eating and drinking is great, too. Ordering isn't. <laughs> Ordering sucks. <laughs> Getting um, snickered at by a bunch of people that are 
I don't know. There's a lot of negativity. Um, so you're picking Gabe for the win. I'll take Julian. Yeah, I do not have Julian. Julian's that classic. He's in that classic space that he's been in for a couple of years. Which guy will show up? Yeah, exactly. And But I'm banking that he will. I love your Gabe pick, and I think that's a you're actually going to be right, but I'll, I want to pick something different. So I'm going to take Julian who, you know, who I think is sort of a wild card is Griffin because he's been great. He's doing great, but he is in this new spot. Basically. I'm sure he surfed there before, but competitively, is he going to be able to jump over all the hurdles that are the French beach breaks? Um, that to me is any guy that's new, any rookie or second year guy is like, uh Oh, good luck, bro. And you get frothed out. Like you see guys getting shacked out there and over froth it for me personally is always my biggest failure. Like when I see the waves are pumping, I have my least favorite session, you know, but or if you I just, just drive away, you just go, you know what? I'm going to dinner. I'm going to go to a birthday dinner. Oh yeah. I have an obligation. Sorry guys. I'm <laughs> out of here. Uh, but if I look at, if I pull up the waves and I just go, Oh, it looks like crap. Then I have a blast, you know? And I think that with France, you can easily do that to yourself and the sandbar shift and you have to really just be attuned to the ocean. So for the first time in a long time, I actually looked at the surf stats guy. What's his name? Dave. I looked at the surf stats guys information on this event and, and I sort of picked my team based on that because like you, I'm, I'm a little bit better than you are at fantasy surfer. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, you're so not middle of the road. Yeah. Wait, if we look right now, who's leading you or me? Well, I do, I haven't set my team in a year. <laughs> well, then I'm, I'm still your ass. <laughs> then I'm kicking if your I'm ass. Still Thank leading, you very much. That would be insane. Oh my god. Um. Well, my question to you is: Is the surf stats guy even right? Because over the years, I have kind of checked in on that, and they, I think they were always kind of middle of the road. I don't think they were ever leading the clubhouse. I don't know if they if they have validity, but I read their thing and it sounded good. And they were using basically. I was picking based on stats over like an eight-year period. You well, know? what's great is they do provide all the stats, but what's interesting about Fantasy Surfer is the stats are almost valueless. Like there's so many variables, the stats don't... Which they is can't kind provide, of interesting. They can't really run proper pro formas because there's no way to predict the variables that are at play in this thing. that's kind of interesting that the stats don't really play out like in in many ways it's i i want to go see that proves that it's not a sport yeah you know like if the stats don't even have any value if you can't use the stats and go look michael jordan makes 79 percent of his three throws or you know what i mean then it's kind of like wow but it also points to the waves of the stars you know completely so just so you guys know, in our clubhouse, Spit, formerly Surf Splendor, on FantasySurfer.com, a guy named Decat is winning. How many total points do you have right now? I, I have not How set my team it? the entire season. Go to um, my team. Oh, total points? And then 6,133. 6,191. You should see him right now. He's just, <laughs> I've never seen David happier than he was just right now. Like. I've ne- Except driving away from a perfect squad. Dude, I haven't set my team this entire year, and I'm beating you by 60 points. I haven't set my... Oh, wait. Okay, yeah, I haven't set any. Okay, but team. I'll tell you who my team is. Okay, who is it? Oh, John John Florence. He's not even surfing. <laughs> oh, my God. You're beating so me got, with John John and Kelly. I have on my team, I have Kanoa, Felipe, Griffin, Idolo, Yago, Jordy, and Michael Rodriguez. So I must have set it for snapper. 
But John John's on my team too, and he's not even surfing, and I'm beating you, dude. That's that is amazing. I find that hard to believe. Uh, I find it. What about your women's team? By the way, there is a woman that I'm watching. Did you see this? There's this girl from Tahiti who I grew up with her father. He's a, a guy from Del Mar. His name's Andrew Fierro. His daughter's name is, let's see if we can set the girls up here. My women's team, I'm doing pretty good with, actually. So I want all the listeners to root for this young lady. So she's a wild card in this event? I think so. Vahina Fierro. Yeah, Vahina. That's who we're all rooting for. Vahina. She ripped. She totally rips. Goofy foot. Absolutely rips. Her dad, Andrew, who I said I grew up with in Del Mar, and he moved to Tahiti when he was, I don't know, I want to say he was probably twenty-three. Good for him. And he's lived there his whole, you know, for the last twenty years, married a local girl, has a family. And uh, so I'm I'm hoping that Vahina just sets the world. Vahini. Is it Vahini? Yeah. Vahini, I think is how you pronounce it. I hope she sets the world on fire in this event. Well, before we, I got to get on the road here. <clears throat> we got to do the must-see happy moment, the Duke and the Kook. But before we do, I want to ask you, your buddy who moved to Tahiti. Yeah. Were you ever envious of people who kind of do radical life change like that and like get out of Southern California? And had you ever considered doing it yourself? I am absolutely envious you know, like in a way, when you're 23 and you visited Tahiti and you're like, this is insane. Like how killers I could see living here for the rest of my life. And then you pull it off. My hat's off to you. And for sure, I wish I could have had the gumption and the moxie and the wherewithal to pull that off. Like if you're going to do it, that's doing it right. You know, like, cause I know where he moved, which island he moved to and how killer the waves are there. And it's, and you know, you're kind of set for life surf wise. Now, I don't even know. I haven't spoken to Andrew in 25 years. The last time I saw him, you've heard me tell the story where I paddled out at Lania Kea and I, t- I picked up this kid at the airport, drove him to Lania Kea. It was like 10 to 15 feet Lania Kea, perfect north swell in October. It's like 1988 or something like that. And I'm like, Andrew, whatever you do, if you lose your board, don't swim into the channel. Right. And I, of course, I'm catching tons of waves on him on a big Willis Brothers. I'm catching a lot of waves for, and the whole North Shore's out because Lonnie K was perfect. And it's like Brock Little and Ross Williams, all these guys. Ken Bradshaw, the whole scene, right? And a big set comes. I bail my board. Leash breaks. Board breaks. I'm in the channel where I told him not to go. And I'm in the channel for 45 minutes, like swimming, like getting worked. And anyway, that's the point is that was Andrew Fierro who I picked up at the airport right. and drove okay. him to. By the way, so we'll get back to that topic, but I am going to Hawaii in three weeks. Yeah. And so listeners, I'm going to be on Maui and Oahu. Listeners who uh, If a want, swell comes, are you going to bail? I'm going to book a new ticket to get out of there as <laughs> soon as possible. Um, but for listeners who have uh, recommendations for people to interview and stuff, I will definitely be doing some podcast-related stuff while I'm there. So feel free to send recommendations for Maui and Oahu. Um, but back to my question at hand. Yeah. Did you ever consider? And then, I mean, you had to have considered at that time well, in your yeah, life. Well, yeah. I mean, I went to Australia. I moved to Australia. How um, long were you there for? Not long. I mean, like, like maybe here? four or five months. And was uh, that the plan or were you planning on staying longer? No, the, the plan was to stay longer. And why did you come back? I was just broke and personal issues and just i was just i wasn't mature enough to pull it off let's put it what age were you 
I was like 25. Were you working? It was 1988, 1989. So um, I was 23. Yeah, I guess I was like 23. Oh, man. I was watching Mr. Rogers sitting on my mom's sofa. She was feeding me. Yeah. I I just got too involved in other things. I'll did, leave it at that. Did you work while you were there? Yeah, I was a waiter. Oh, okay. I waited tables. And then where I was working... It was a seasonal job. Like I, I, I got there in December, I think, and I worked through their summer season. And then the summer season's over and the job ended. And I was like pretty much worthless, you know, with no money. And, you know, guys I was living with were like, dude, you got to pay rent. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm out of here. So my, my follow-up question then is you committed to the Southern California lifestyle, buy a house, raise a family, deal with you know, all, I mean, it's a super expensive place to live here. Um, what are your thoughts in hindsight? Do you wish you would have done it differently? No, I don't think, I, I don't think regrets are, are, um, valuable. I don't know if regretting, are there, th- I'm not asking about if you regret it, but do you wish you would have done it differently? Well, I don't know. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, is the exactly. grass always That's greener? That's my point. I, no, like I'm in a great place. I'm in an absolutely wonderful place. You know, like I'm, I, I'm, I'm super, super grateful. Uh, to this point, I've had an incredible life. I've traveled all over the world. I've surfed everywhere. I've, I got paid to do it. You know, I've, I've had an incredible life. Like yeah. it's insane, right? Super blessed. So I'm happy where I am, and I, I want to be able to somehow uh, pay it forward. Well, the reason why I ask is just um, when you can do all of those things, when you have the resources and the budget to be able to travel and experience all the benefit that Southern California has to offer, which is proximity to airports and the great weather and being able to dine out at all the great places, all that stuff, then it's good. But I look at it, but there's also a lot that comes with that in terms of raising your kids in the public school system and having to have like a cinder block wall, you know, and be like shoulder to shoulder with all your neighbors and they don't, your kids don't have the same outdoor experience that they might have elsewhere in the world and all that stuff. It's kind of like, man, you, um, there's good and there's bad with it. And I just wonder, like, I'm first of all, envious of people who do radical life change, just because I think that. exposing yourself to different cultures and being out of your comfort zone just has a ton of value in and of itself. But then I also think like, gosh, even the best case scenario in Southern California still is fraught with a lot of challenges that you have to face racing, raising kids, let's say. Um, If you're single and you could just travel all the time or just married and you could travel (laughs) all the time, then that makes it a little bit easier You bring up an interesting topic, though, which is where's the best place as a surfer to raise a family and to be able to experience and to have true freedom. New Zealand, maybe? I was going to say, it could be New Zealand. It could be Australia. The idea being, though, that you would have to have a really good paying job. And like if you could live like in the Byron area or Noosa and have a a good paying job, because you got to pay a lot of taxes. You know, it's, it's one of those things where you give and you get, but you pay a ton of taxes here in Southern California. Absolutely. And not only taxes, it's just everything. Yeah. It, was, I, it could be, is it Australia? Is it Portugal? Like it could be, you know, who, is it Nova Scotia? I, you know, but I do appreciate what you're saying, this idea of being able to raise a family and not have to worry about getting gunned down in school or at a concert by some freak. You know what I mean? Like we have lost a lot of our basic 
liberties in in the USA, in, in, at least in Southern California. Like you gotta, whereas like, man, New Zealand is so friggin' beautiful. If you had a killer job that was allowing you to live, pay the rent, pay the mortgage, whatever, save a little bit of money, you know, just kind of, you know, I'm not yeah. saying be, you know, millionaire or whatever, but you know. But you have to be a millionaire here to buy a home at this point. Yeah, I you know. know what I mean? I know. And especially if you want to be anywhere near the beach. Yeah. So it's just, it's, um, and it's silly. Like, so part of this conversation is, of course, me looking at the next 20 years of my life and like mapping that out, but also just getting back from Baja and seeing, recalibrating my own kind of finances and stuff based on going down to Baja and just like, oh my gosh, not everything is run on Southern California's metrics of this is what it costs to live. And of course, I've traveled enough to be aware of those things anyways, but it's good to recalibrate every once in a while. And it's like, oh, people live on 80 bucks a week down there. And I spend 80 bucks a week on stupid, stupid, frivolous stuff here, yeah. you know? And so, oh, I need to tighten these things up in my life, you know? And well, not, not you- at, like I'm going to donate that money to anybody, but it's like, I just need to, uh, there's a karmic responsibility I have to not be frivolous knowing these things about my neighboring, my neighbors, you know? I think, what is it about Southern California that makes it so appealing? It's the weather, right? Really, that's the reason. It's not really the surf. It's weather and access to all of your comforts. Like I can, I'll tell you. What can't you access? Let's say you move to like Mount Shasta in Oregon or something. I'll tell you right now. If tonight I decide that I want sushi or Italian food, or French food, or Portuguese food, or any of that, I have not only versions of it within 20 minutes, but world-class versions of it. Because I've been to those countries, and I've had the great food in those countries, and we have world-class versions of it within 20 minutes. In Mount Shasta, couldn't you just make it? Couldn't you create that? No, if you wanted sushi in Mount Shasta, where are you going to get the fish, you know? Or Thai food, let's say. So there's no, you could create Thai food. You could cook your own Thai food. So is there a Thai food supplier in that area to get the right spices and ingredients? Sure. You could go online right now and buy Thai food. That's my point. I can get it within 20 minutes right now. Okay. So So you're saying you you have a palate. You have a palate. food Food might be a frivolous example, but there are. What if you want to join a rock climbing gym? Boom, you could do it today. What if you want to join a, what if you want to go surf? There's what no if, rock climbing in Mount Shasta. You could probably climb an insane amount of rocks. So terrible example again from me. But <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have picked rock climbing. Um, you can surf and ski in the same day here. Yeah, I hear that all the time. That, you, I call bullshit on that. You, you totally can, can do it. You totally can do but it. But it's not, it's not pleasant. And it's it's a not, two, so for listeners, it's a two-hour commitment. You can be, more than that. No, you could be in Big Bear in the mountains in two hours from Orange County. I agree. I'm not saying you can't do it, but I'm just saying, first of all, nobody, like if you're going to Big Bear to go snowboarding, it's kind of, Big Bear is kind of lame. It is super lame. So it's like, look, if I'm going snowboarding, I'm going to Mammoth or I'm going to Utah. It can be done, though. And yeah, I also, agree it can it, be done, but I think it's a bad example. And you could be in the desert in Palm Springs doing that vacation lifestyle. You've got Disneyland. You've got access to a bunch of airports that fly internationally. Like, there's a lot of amenity and comfort here that I think you and I are just accustomed to, and it feels I bet in Mount Shasta you can fly pretty much anywhere in the world. From You're just going to hop on a commuter to, like, SeaTac Airport, and away you go. So you think... Mount I'm just Shasta saying, and Orange County and San Diego are equivalently convenient. No, but what I'm suggesting to you and the listeners is tell us where you think there's a really 
like a really nice place to live that's more affordable. It doesn't have all of these taxes so and fees and that still allows you to live the lifestyle you want to live. Like you could even argue the Outer Banks of North Carolina. Yeah. Or you could argue, um, and I'm, I already sort of argued Oregon, like like the Bend area, and you just get on a plane and go to Cabo and go surf. Like, you know what? There's a South Swell. Let's go to, you can fly to Cabo from Bend. I bet it's a four-hour flight or something like that. Yeah. I think New Zealand sounds idyllic, but isn't it wildly expensive there too? Yes. Yeah. And they don't even let you in. Like you better, you, you can't get in unless you got a million bucks or something. Yeah. Like you got to deposit money yeah. to live there. Yeah. But like, what about Portugal? Like Portugal Portugal's a great Portugal is very similar to Southern California, climate wise, Mediterranean climate. Inexpensive. Inexpensive. In terms of Western Europe. Super amazing killer. Amazing food, killer waves. I like Portugal. I love Portugal. You just have to know the language, but you, the people are you nice. Know. I mean, I've traveled there. You could speak English. I mean, you you should learn the language, yeah. but you can get it's by. It's not like going to France where it's like if you don't know the language, they like spit on you. Yeah. I don't think France. I haven't had that bad of experiences in France. Scott doesn't like it. <laughs> I, I got France. great waves there, but. I, I have I was, too, and I love France. I But I yeah, I agree. I Portugal's the pick. By the way. The front runner. I've been listening. I think I told you this. That Dan Carlin Hardcore History, yeah. the whole Armageddon, the whole World War One thing, like 45 hours of World War One, So insane. I just finished it. I'm a big fan. We talked about it, but it was off air. Oh. So listeners should get hip to that if they aren't already. Yeah, Hardcore History. I mean, Dan, Dan Carlin, Carlin, I mean, talk about podcast pioneer legend. I mean, that guy's been at it for at least six or seven I years. I sent him money. I was like, this guy deserves money, man. He's like, I unreal. sent him 25 bucks or something. He's like, unreal. Totally insane. His amount of prep and um, like you said, these episodes are three plus hours long of him reading. Basically, it's a monologue, but him reading um, and he'll do a series. So how many parts was that series? Four episodes? Six. It was six. And each episode's three, 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 hours three long. plus hours long. Yeah. And he's doing one on World War Two right now. He just started it. And the cool thing is, is he did an addendum. So he did the first episode for world war ii and in doing his research for the next episode he found this story that he's like i'm not gonna be able to squeeze the story into my show my show's already so friggin' long so he did a one hour addendum and interestingly it's on the uss indianapolis which delivered those parts for the atom bomb the hiroshima bomb and what happened of course as you know is it got hit by some torpedoes and it was this horrendous tiger shark frenzy for three days which kind of is fitting sadly into today's show because it's got some shark themes but it's a great hardcore history dan carlin addendum on the uss indianapolis and it's and dan carlin's kind of dark as you know he's he's always like wondering what would it be like you know to be watching your friend you know you turn his body over and the only thing that's left is his shoulders and the rest of it's gone Man, uh, the first series I listened to from him, which was probably five years ago, was um, the Genghis Khan one. I've been. I want to listen to that. It's one. good. It's really good. I'm having a hard time finding it. Hmm. Anyway, I'm sure well, it's out there. At any rate, so let's kind of get into wrap up mode. My must see happy moment presented by SpyOptic.com <laughs> is Stephanie I'm Gilmore. Su- I'm super bummed. <laughs> this is why I'm bummed. Okay. John this is John, supposed to be happy. John, I'm going to get happy in a second. Okay. But the reason why I'm bummed is John, our beloved John John Florence, current two-time world champion, is out of the comp in France, of course. He's been out since whatever it was, um, Karamas, I think. He's out of the competition. But 
I am happy because if you review his footage from 2014, which I recently unearthed, it's freaking better. Do you remember 2014? It was like double overhead. He won the comp against Adrian or uh, Jadson Andre in the final. And he's like kick stalling into the pit. He's like, there's a couple of photos looking at into the barrel on a right where he's stalling in a section where everybody else would have been running for their lives. And he's like kick stalling casually and just gets drained all the way down the beach and then comes out and flicks an air off the end section, so lands rad. into the flats. Big like, surf. Huge. Yeah. So I this remember. session from, or this um, comp in 2014 that John John ruled, it was akin to what we saw last year at Margaret River, where he was doing those huge arcing turns and everybody goes, well, never seen Margaret River surfed that way before. Yeah. That was freaking radical. That's what this was from, this session from France was. So my must-see happy moment, John John Florence, 2014 footage, highlight reel from the finals day in France. You can find it on spitpodcast.com. I'll also Instagram it out and just revel in the fact that John John's footage from four years ago would win the comp tomorrow. Cool. Like, I'm stoked you're going to put that on the spit it's so website because I want to watch that. It's so gnarly. And it's a reminder that that guy's just a freak talent, dude. Like, he's so cerebral. He's like a cat where it's like he just, it doesn't matter how the wave's been surfed before. He's just in this kind of natural attunement flow. He's just finding the right ways to do things that is yeah, just it's incredible. Huh? He's kind of like, it's amazing. He, I, when I try to think of the, the surfers that you would p- pull from, he's like, Bruce Irons meets. Yes, that's a good call. It's like Bruce Irons meets a some some skate pro. Like he's like Bruce Irons meets Christian Fletcher's son Grayson meets um, Kelly. Nah. Well, there's an attunement. There's not a lot of Kelly in him, except for maybe th- backside two riding. But. I think there's an attunement with the ocean that is Kelly and is Tom Kern. Tom Kernish, yeah. Where they're like kind of. They've always on the best wave of the yeah. day. Yeah. So uh, I was bummed, super bummed that John's not in the comp, but I am happy to find this footage and to hold it as the the litmus that everybody has to live to in this year's event. Yes. So spyoptic.com with the happy lens. Very happy. Podcast. What a fine, happy moment you've created. Thank you, sir. Well, until next time. Well, no. Oh, sorry. I've got a kook, man, oh. and a duke. Oh, a kook and a duke. So my, my kook is... <laughs> surfstationshop.com oh my god i bit on this no way yeah i paid for it no way yeah i fully had to cancel my credit card and everything oh scott tell the story well first of all how gullible are you i mean that just looked like a scam i did it totally looked like a scam but i was like i'll tell you the reason i did it is for business purposes i'm like holy shit if they're selling firewires for 83 bucks i'm gonna purchase one if i can purchase one this is like this, me, is, this is like through the roof crazy shit. So here's how I handled the exact same situation. Text the people at Firewire and go, are you guys aware of this? They immediately get back and like, holy crap, we were not, we'll handle it. You know, like there's no way they could sell them for four, 83 bucks. Well, I looked at it like maybe they're just dumping last year's production cycle, you know, and they do but it through would, this distribution channel that's. That would be see, value, I didn't, I didn't use surf, I didn't use Surf Station. There's this other one called TB Mall. That had Channel Islands lost. That's what this was. Yeah, it was the same exact thing. It was just a different logo. Same exact scam. Same people scamming it. TB Mall. So I bought 
a brand new Firewire Simatsim attack or whatever, some brand new Kelly Slater thing for 83 bucks. I'm like, holy shit, if this thing arrives in the mail, I'm going to be blown away. And then my wife's like, like you, she's like, dude, too good to be true. What, is, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, yeah, maybe you're right. And I started doing some research. Did I reach out to you? Yeah. So I reached out to Chewy at Firewire. I'm like, Chewy, dude, That's are you aware of this? He's like, dude, it's a scam. It's been. And then somebody else sent me the Surfline did a story on they it did. like a week ago. Yeah. Like going, this is a full ripoff. So what it was was Surf Station Shop um, basically created like a dummy site that was looking exactly like Surf Station Store, which is a legitimate retailer, great retailer out of St. Augustine, Florida. And um, they were obviously selling a number of brands for 100 bucks and under that normally go for 800 and over. And it was just a credit card phishing scam. So you go on there. People had. Lo- I heard stories. People loaded up three thousand dollars worth of boards, check out, and then their credit card information is stolen. Of course. So all of those surf brands, including the retailer, the the real retailer, are trying to put a stop to it. I checked it this morning. It's still up. And I know. I saw it on Facebook. So and there. That's the thing. They were doing targeted Facebook ads. So if you and Instagram. So if you went on social media and you're a surfer and you're following the WSL or Kelly Slater, you're then getting fed these ads for this $100 surfboards, you know? Yeah. And people- It's still up. There's no doubt it's still up. With their credit card. I immediately canceled my card, called my bank, blah, blah, blah. Good. Man, uh, crazy situation. So the kooks at the kook of the week, surfstationshop.com. Listeners, do not fall victim. Yeah, those those hackers are kooks, man. You know who my duke is? Tell me. Gab. No, Maya Gabrielle. Who? Maya? Coincidentally, she's mine as well. Okay, well, tell Maya, the story because she won a, a, a Guinness Book of World Records. She did. Maya Gabieri, or Gabiera, a, um, she rode a 68-foot wave at Nazare. In January, back in January. And was just inducted into the Guinness World Records um, for the largest wave ever surfed in the female category. Right. So pretty heroic effort especially and, considering well, the horrific wipeout and sort of the comeback she's kind of a well she is a comeback story so it's that's kind of, the duke part of it is just not only doing it but facing her facing fears her fears so she had the near drowning in 2013 where she her lifeless body got rescued by a jet ski which interestingly you and i reported on yes that's 2013 that's five years ago yeah you and i were doing this show which is kind of shocking to think about um, that we've been doing it that long. But yeah, I remember reporting on that and you and I tripping it. Like, it's harrowing footage. Well, look, sh- I'm pretty soft. I don't think I would ever, like, get back on that horse. Heck no. You know what I mean? Like, that's I would pretty, never have been out there in the first place. That's pretty incredible that she got back on the horse and then conquered it, dude. Yeah. Good for her. Good job. Maya Gabiera, Duke of the Week. Yes. From these two spitters. All right. Well, I guess until next time. By the way, I'm I'm interviewing uh, Bird for oh, the Boardroom Podcast tomorrow. It's a great call. Yeah, and um, looking forward to that. So seems, yeah, seems like I've never really um, interacted with, it, with him much, but he seems like a gregarious, fun-loving dude. Yes. Yeah. We should have a, an interesting interview tomorrow, so that'll be fun, and that'll be up on the Boardroom Podcast. Um, David and I will try to get it up Monday. Monday. Yeah. Okay, well, and then until next time, adios and aloha.
can't see the water. I, I can't taste the sea. I keep on moving farther where I need to be. So